0: Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Green Greenleaf Weekly Radio. Cold morning, 10 degrees uh, out there, and we have a lot of news that uh, we need to get through And a few interviews. We've got three interviews, so it should be interesting. Um, in the morning, just to keep you entertained. Now, news. And I've got, I'm a Lelita Chalaya, by the way, I forgot to mention that, and I've got a guest on the uh, in the studio today, Bronte Scott, who is helping me get through the morning because Hello ca- <laughs> Morning, Bronte Good morning A couple of our normal presenters have, um, one is sick and the other one's uh, got his, uh, <laughs> Everyone's his special Everyone's all with over it. the place yeah. So we are running okay So um, what's news, Bronte? We've got quite a few things happening
1: well, as everyone would have heard, I'm sure, um, Hanson had her maiden speech in Parliament. So, newly elected Senator Pauline Hanson has given her, has given her maiden speech in the Senate on September the 14th, 20 years after her first, her first appearance as a parliamentary in 1996. Her um, speech outlined a far right agenda of racist bigotry, misogyny, and attacks on the welfare on welfare rights. Her first speech in 1996 falsely claimed that Australia was being swamped by Asians. I'm sure everyone remembers that famous line. This year, however, she falsely claimed that now we are, being in, now we are in danger of being swamped by Muslims, which is such an outlandish statement and an unbelievable thing to say. Um, it is tempting to dismiss as the ravings of a right-wing lunatic launching onto whatever prejudice is most useful at the time. While there is an element in truth to this notion, um, it is a downplay of the important threats that pose by a, a resign. Oh, sorry, I have, I'm quite dyslexic and I can't read that one. <laughs> Do you want um, to read it? Yes, actually. Um, I'll give that to you.
0: You got to fold it so ah. I can see it. <laughs> Pardon this. Um, where is it? Okay. Um, what we have here is formed by the it's um, an it's ABC Radio National, Carrie Phillips, um, has some commentary on this, but you're talking about, um, what it, what I call incendiary speech outlined. Mm. Her first was formed this year, yeah, anyway. Well, people know about, um, Pauline Hansen mm-hmm. and various, um, um, you know, people who've done polls have, um, come out with this, this, uh, I guess in a way a new, um, finding which says like 49% of the people are against allowing Muslims to come in here. It's almost like a repeat of what's happening mm-hmm. in the US and uh, the propaganda seems to be biting and, um, the, the, I think the Muslims are in a way struggling to fight back. Um, I don't know if people saw the program last night, the um, Hackett or something it was called, yes. and we mm-hmm. had uh, the UPF character. I never can remember his name. I've got a mental block against mm-hmm. his name. Um, to, oh, I'm not dividing people. I am just uh, explaining the divisions. I'm thinking, excuse me, we can see we are also intelligent. We also mm-hmm. have a brain. And he specifically stuck to certain divisions that he chose to exploit. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very... Um, uh, not sedate, but very civilized discussion. I suppose you can Mm. say the least. It it didn't explore sufficiently in depth of the reasons for the divisions. But the reality is, um, you know, people are social animals. They travel. People have migrated Mm. all the centuries we've been on Mm. this earth. The main Way we have um, done things is migrating, mixed mm-hmm. with other cultures. Whether it's trade or whether it is looking for food in mm-hmm. the olden. Um, it, it's how the it's human race crazy. survives.
1: Is that's right. through multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is not mu- new. It's not new. <laughs> it, will, it will continue to grow. <laughs> they, these these UPF characters and things like that. They act like this is a new thing that's suddenly being put on Australia. Multiculturalism and things like that, and that these people are all invading our country. When in reality, you know, their ancestors were people that were forced on Australia as um, criminals, forced on the Indigenous and First Nations That's people. Right. These were the first people who so-called invaded Australia. This is, you know, what amuses land. me.
0: What amuses me is that you come to this country, you've got to obey the law. Yeah. But I said, well, you didn't exactly obey the law when you first came yeah, to this exactly, country, exactly. did you? So how come you have double standards there? And it always fascinates me when people say I'm Australian yeah, but what does that mean? It's the mm. next question that almost naturally follows. Mm. Uh, Australian to me means Aboriginal person. Mm. You're the true Australian. Mm. Everybody else is a migrant. Yeah. And even in the media when they describe people or uh, a male was seen doing this or whatever it is, they always say a oh, black male or Aboriginal male or Chinese male or Asian looking mm. male or Indian man, but they never say a white male. Mm. It's as if uh, it's a given that when you're Australian, you're white Australian, mm. white yeah. male Australian. That's what... There's a a benchmark almost that they follow. And it bothers me as a black Mm -hmm. person. I've just been thinking, you know, there has to be a shift in this thinking. So, what they do is instill this idea that Australian means male and white. Mm -hmm. And the rest. Yeah, Yeah. so the rest have been described. Mm -hmm. Whereas that benchmarked term, Australian, refers to a particular. Um, mm. Gender And skin colour Has not to be Explained mm. So it's, it's A reverse In the way they think And I suppose yesterday's forum Last night's forum Was controlled um, And they tried to Keep it civil And I, I found that That it was I couldn't watch it. No. It was, uh, you know, the UPO guy had uh, such a show on it. Mm. He, he gave... Um, a l- he was given a lot of air time. He
1: was in the middle of the room and everything, yeah. It was, uh, it was, yeah.
0: And the big domineering guy. Mm. And then you got all these women, a couple of women. One of them was a lawyer, a Muslim woman. And even she was very... Maybe she thought maybe, you know, it's no point banging your head against a brick wall. You can explain things, but it's all you can do. Mm. But people have to look at the way everything is presented. Every night you have something about Muslims or anti Muslim stuff that's being said on radio. Mm -hmm. It, it, you know, enters your psyche after a while. Anyway, let's talk about something else. I I really, we'll well, we'll talk about something more positive, really interesting. (laughs) The Northern Territory elections. um, A big victory for Yunya Mark Guluya, and he's won an upset uh, seat in um, Northern Territory of Lynn Walker. And uh, he only won by eight votes. Isn't it amazing? Oh, yeah, they were going so to amazing. challenge it. but They thought, you know, we've got enough seats. I think there were mm-hmm. 18 out of yeah. 25 seats in the, uh, the Labour Party. So they've left it, even mm-hmm. though Lynn Walker has been one of these, uh, what they call uh, stalwarts. Mm-hmm. I can never pronounce the yeah. word. <laughs> and... um He's very happy. He's a Gulia man, which is a local, um, no, Gulia is a Yol- Yolngu, Yolngu man from Anamland, the son of crocodile hunter. And he has been a research, he's a teacher, sorry, as a part of the Yolngu studies program at Charles Darwin University. And he teaches the Yolngu culture and the language and used the campaign to call for treaty between national people and the Australian government. And his argument for treaty is very interesting. He says, um, you know, let us go, let us go, give us the space to go, think and develop a way that was ours once before. So he, it's like getting in touch with their culture um, and, you know, doing the things the way they want to do it. And it's, it's a good call in the way he puts it. And we want our own sovereign um, sovereignty recognize recognize our power recognize who we are recognize that we are here we were here before any law that came and ruled all over all over us mm-hmm. I believe we can work together if we can sit down and negotiate things but it hasn't happened mm-hmm. it's been going on for 228 years now um, when the, when are you going to listen and sit down with us I mean that's mm-hmm. the call he has put out mm-hmm. so it's interesting that you know he he's happy to sit down and talk and work out uh, a negotiated agreement um and of course that's a treaty but the the other thing he says is that he also believes that recognizing Yolngu law in particular the the still in that is particularly in still existence uh, assemblies is essential mm-hmm. to overcoming the vast disadvantaged suffering suffered by the aboriginal people in northern territory so it's really, really interesting because um, the other Aboriginal person who won was uh, the one who upset the old Giles, Northern Territory, oh. <laughs> um, um, Chief Minister. Mm. And I think it's the first time the ALP has won that seat in us, mm. which is amazing. So they have wiped the floor clean, basically, and a good number of Aboriginal people have got in, which means they can start really talking about what is it that is going to suit mm. the Aboriginal people and, and what will meet their needs? So, you know, there'll be, we, are trying to get in touch with, um, uh, Yingya. Yingya, that's how you pronounce his name. it's almost Chinese. Maybe it's a mixture there somewhere. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> um, and if we can interview with him, that'll be really, really good. Um, we've put the call out, so we'll chase that one mm. for it. Because it's been enormous, enormous victory for them. Yeah. So that's, that's good news. Um, Pauline Hans Hands' got a long way to go beat those people, I can tell you <laughs> that. But, <laughs> so we won't worry about them. Mm. So any other news you want to focus on? There was something on the the top bit of the page that you have.
1: Yeah, I might, I might read a bit about um, the CUB boycott. Yep. Um, and the boycott's been growing for CUB. Um, it's... Um, there's just been a student bar, I believe, that's um, said it won't sell CUV anymore, which is great. I think the boycott has now grown to... Is that in Swinburne University or something? Yeah. yeah if, which is um, great. Yeah, that's great. Um,
0: I want to see the AFL do something. I'm waiting.
1: <laughs> I think... I think I could be I could be wrong, but I think it's up to 68 bars now that mm, have boycotted mm, CUV. Mm, it's growing. Yeah, so the, it's it's definitely growing, and um, I... I you know, people are saying, I definitely, you know, if you are a drinker and you go to your local bar, I definitely, and they haven't joined in the boycott yet, I definitely encourage you to stand up for workers' rights and go and, you know, talk, talk, to, the, talk to the owner of the bar or try and get a word in um, about, you know, this boycott and try and get them to stop selling CUV because we need to support the workers.
0: Yep, and there's a barbecue coming on to mm. to actually support the workers. We'll give the details later in the announcement section. Okay, welcome back to Green Life Weekly Radio, and we have Steve Jolly on the line, and he is a counsellor for Yaram. Morning, Steve. Good morning. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. Up and
0: early, fresh in the morning, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Leafleting. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I work in the construction industry, so this is uh, well into my working day.
0: <laughs> so, um, how's the campaign going so
3: far?
2: Yeah, it's been good. Um, We've been out there working very hard. The voting started two days early. Yes. Uh, Two days ago, I should say, you can vote for a month now um, before the polling day at the polling booth next to the Mm -hmm. Detroit Police Station. And um, we've been working hard amongst those people who've been getting left behind in the inner city, the poor. Yes. Who've been squeezed out. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive, of course, to live now Mm -hmm. in the inner city. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And um, in the middle of this development sort of frenzy, um, the poor... Uh, I've been pushed out of the inner city, and that's the the main theme that we're running on, is to to make the necessary changes to ensure that that stops.
3: Mm.
0: And that that also brings up the idea of housing, and I always am fascinated as to what what councils are doing about housing, because housing is usually a a state or a federal issue, but councils... There's a lot they
2: can do that they're not doing, Um, Mm. and at, at the moment I'm worn out with a right-wing, you know, essentially right-wing councillors. Mm. What we want to do is, if we get a majority of the socialists, is first of all use councils unused buildings, like the ones next to Collingwood Town and others as well, mm. and turn them into um, you know, emergency accommodation for victims of domestic violence, low-cost housing, uh, offices for NGOs in the area that are currently struggling to pay the rents and so on. That's the first and quick and easy thing we can do. The second thing we can do is change the local planning scheme so that every large development like the one right next door to your building at 3CR right now.
3: Yes. Forced mm-hmm.
2: to have a percentage, a minimum percentage of low-cost housing yes. in the um, in the building. So mm. it's not just yuppie apartments. Yes. And the third thing is obviously to wage a political campaign in the community uh, against the state government's policy of basically not spending any more money on public housing. That has to change. Mm. Mm. And we've got 30 to 40,000 people on the waiting list. There's a massive mm. demand for public housing. Yes. Those who are in it don't find... Find that the, you know the maintenance and the uh, refurbishments are deadly slow. Yep.
3: Um,
2: so they're the three things that immediately can make a huge difference to um, housing, which, as you correctly pointed out, is the main issue.
0: Yeah. Um, and the also lack the,
2: the, housing, r- the lack of affordable housing. That's
0: exactly. I was just going to say that the rent is so high mm. that people can't afford to pay their rent and eat. You've got to choose one or the other, mm. and that's the other big yeah. issue, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, you know, years ago. Uh, Collingwood, Fitzroy, it was where uni students lived in shared houses. Yes. You don't <laughs> really, get that now because even on that basis, it's super expensive. And mm. you, what you find is a lot of people have moved to the northern suburbs, well, you know, further north, f- f- further to the north where it's a little bit cheaper. Mm. So we want to start a conversation um, on top of those three things that I mentioned before about the need for rent control. And um, we've mm. got it in Berlin, we've got it in certain parts of the United States. Yes. And there's got to be a limit, like there is at the moment with public housing, where rents can no, can, cannot be any more than 25% of your income. Mm. Um, with social housing, it's higher. It's 33%. But we really think that that has to happen. And otherwise, um, you know, it doesn't matter how many houses we build. They're just for investment properties and they're right. buying mm. idle or they're just affordable by people. Wealthy. Yeah, and, and all the homeless negative homeless
0: gearing in. and the negative gearing bit comes in, kicks in as well. So that makes it even harder for people to get any housing. Mm.
2: For well, the, the age reported last year that for every homeless person in Melbourne, there are three empty apartments. Mm in Melbourne. It's I mean, it's disgraceful.
3: Because, yes, we've yes. got a
2: country the size of the continent of Europe with a population of tiny Holland mm. and the fact that we've got a housing crisis is the biggest indictment of capitalism Absolutely. I mm. think of, you know? mm.
0: So tell me how, how is it going on the council because you've got Greens Greens um, won their council position initially at the Yarra council didn't they and so you, you you're able to work with the Greens to, to achieve some of these things you're talking about?
2: The Greens are hopeless I mean you know 12 years on, um, we've got, like, just for example, even with cycling, which is one of their core issues, all we've got in Yarra is one dedicated bicycle, lane. it's the smallest one in the world, it's from Gipps Street in Collingwood to Alexander Parade, uh, sorry, to Victoria Parade, Less than 500 metres, where we've got the Liberals in Melbourne Council have done more on cycling than the so-called Greens on Yarra Council, so the Greens... Uh, flattered to deceive. They talk the talk but they don't walk the walk mm. Mm. Um, and therefore it's a little bit frustrating yeah. and I think people now want the real deal mm. um, they want more socialists not people pretending to care for the community who actually don't do anything once they get into power mm.
1: mm-hmm. And on that um, what's the community support that, um, behind you been like?
2: Did you hear the uh, Community support? Well yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, at uh, the last election, I got the highest vote in Victoria. The one before, I got the highest in Yarra. You did and too? The you got, 34%? Wow. Paris. So we've been working very, very strongly with the community. For example, with the massive campaign that we led to stop the East-West Tunnel campaign with the Picketing campaign three and then two and one year ago. Um, on the public housing estates, we've been working really closely with the residents' associations on Fitzroy, the most strongest in militant Public Housing residents' Association in Victoria, but out in the community, there are dozens of groups that have been established to stop inappropriate development of developers moving in 10, 20 stories in two-story areas with no social support, no um, services for, for these new mm. residents, of these little matchbox apartments. So yeah. this mm. is one of the most engaged areas in Victoria. The people are extremely active, mm. um, so there's no no end of support. The vast majority of people who are helping my campaign, by the way, are not you know, members of a socialist group or self declared socialists, but they're just highly active locals mm. who want change on council and think that real change in council could mean a big difference in their lives. Mm.
0: And you've been part of the campaign, though. You, you, you initially won in 2004, wasn't it? In the 90s, you were involved in the, the second... Yeah. yeah, so you started off at the, the Richmond Secondary College in the 90s and, and you went on to become counsellor in your last... Uh, council election, you got 34% in 2012, and that's extremely, you know, celebratory uh, percentage, but I'm concerned for a socialist. It's fantastic. It's all your hard work. So um, in this in this election campaign, um, your main focus has been housing, and I also noticed that you you have been very supportive of the CUB workers. The, those who are on strike.
2: Well, it's the biggest workplace in Yarra. You know, um, and years for years, if you worked at CUB, it was like a job for life. Yeah. For whoever in that family was looking up to work there, they had 35% leave loading, they got a subsidized canteen, very, very strong union conditions and wages, and yeah, as I say, it was a permanent job. Mm. And for those people to be attacked, 55 maintenance workers and told that they want to have their jobs back, it's a 65% pay cut. I mean, if you're on 1800 bucks a week, like a construction worker is, roughly. That's that means a pay reduction down to 630 bucks.
3: Mm.
2: It's devastating for a family. Mm.
3: Absolutely.
2: Um, and, yeah. and especially when the company's not in dire right? straits. So we're not talking about the car industry here, we're talking about beer. Mm. They made $4.5 billion profit last That's year. That's right. The CEO's on $7,000 an hour. That's Shit. how much money he's on. One that, $1. Oh. $1.1 million a week. Oh. And they treat these people like dirty old rags so that mm. the community is very supportive of the CUP workers and they force the council to do the right thing and give Mm. them the relevant permits and support that they need. And I'm really hopeful that these guys eventually will win um, and get their jobs back, Mm. uh, you know, and um, this will be a huge um, boost to the trade union movement and to Mm. workers generally if that happens.
0: And it's also now become a, a very significant part of the council and it has an impact on the council elections too, as far as I can ascertain. Would that be right?
2: What, what does, sorry, this is CUB so campaign
0: and this jobs this jumps for for the CUB workers who, who were sacked. Huh? Yeah,
2: absolutely. No, it's, it's it's important because people look at that and they go, well, if they can do it to these guys who are in a strong union mm. in a traditionally strong workplace, you know, you know, union wise, what hope have I got if I'm flipping a burger in Collingwood or yep. make, you know a barista in
3: Fitzroy? Mm, can't during, like if, yeah, yeah,
2: um, kentucky like fried
0: chicken it? or whatever, yeah. Yeah. makes it very really difficult. So the council is very supportive of, the, of this um, action by the workers, which is good to see. Well, I
2: mean, they've, given, they've agreed to give them the relevant permits for their picket line and so on. I mean, they would have done it anyway with or without permits, yep. but it does make life mm. a little bit easier when you're not getting yeah. fined oh, God, yeah. by a council for the, um, having the temerity to, to, to you know, c- carry out your rights of free speech mm. and, and mobilisation. Absolutely. You know, but anyway, so, yeah, mm. I wouldn't say supportive like, it, it haven't been successful in, for example, in getting the council to give them money, um, but they have at least um, agreed to, um, I've got all the councils to agree to support them with the permits and so on. Mm. But the, more important than that is, is the community support they have. They've got people dropping down there all the time. Mm. From the public housing estate, but there's one guy in particular, ugly. he calls himself, who's a pensioner, who gives a large proportion of his pension every week for those oh, yeah. picketers and it's always on that picket line and it's just ima- beautiful amazing yeah, a solid mm-hmm. yeah,
0: it's, it's a fear of you know as you mm-hmm. said they can do it a strong union what more for weaker uh, workers and, and unions that are around they will be s- just smashed mm-hmm. no question about it alright so is there anything else you want to say to listeners about your campaign and you know hopefully they'll vote for well, you well
2: I mean if anyone wants to help the campaign it's a very exciting campaign in any way shape or financially help them today or up in the pre-polling letterbox, they can con- just contact 3CR and leave the details and I'll get it off there from, mm. from there, you know. Mm.
0: A- absolutely. That sounds absolutely great. Thank you for being, yeah, a- being available you. this time of the morning, Steve, and good luck with your campaign. Yeah,
1: all the best of luck to you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, Steve. Bye. That was um, Steve Jolly, who is a councillor with the Yarra Council. And currently, um, standing for his, um, for, for re-election. And he has been a very active socialist on the ground for many years now and very well known in the community. And as you, as you heard, he's uh, very busy doing his pre-polling and, and all the other things that um, mm-hmm. he has to do. <laughs> Welcome back to Green Left Weekly Radio and hope you're enjoying the program. Now, in relation to the birthday thing for 3CR, we have to say we haven't reached our financial target for um, this year. So it's been a bit of um, disappointment, I guess, but I'm sure that there are people out there who haven't yet paid up and they would like to pay up. And, uh, you, and listeners are probably very well aware that if you donate more than $2, it's uh, tax, tax deductible. And we encourage people to make an effort and contribute as much as you can Um, You can ring the station on 94198377, or you can come to Smith Street. Now, what's the number? It's on the the, um, opposite the um, McDonald's almost, on the corner of um, Victoria Parade and Smith Street, um, accessible by tram number 86, which is easier to come. (laughs) So please feel... um, you know, that you, you, you don't have to be obliged to pay, but if you want to keep an independent media radio running, um, this is one way of doing it and helping us uh, support, uh, helping us around the station means money and um, every dollar helps. And mm-hmm. as I said, anything over $2 is tax deductible. So dig in deep and see how much you can help us um, finance this uh, station and keep it running. Okay, next piece of news um, Bronte.
1: Uh Tamils demand return of occupied land. Tamils who have been protesting outside a, million, a military contentment. Cantonment. Cantonment. It is a hard word. In the suburb of Kilonichi. Kilinochi, Kilo-nitchi, yeah. Have been on a hunger strike on September. have been have begun a hunger strike. Um, from September the 7th, they are demanding the return of their lands, which have been occupied by the Sri Lankan army since its 2009 victory over the LTTE. Kilonacci? (laughs) Wrong (laughs) said. Oh no, I'm so sorry for butchering that, has been the de facto capital of the LTTE, which fought for an independent Tamil homeland on the north and east of the island of Sri Lanka. Throughout the north and east, Tamils are trying to recover their land. They are resisting the attempts by the army and the other agencies of the Sri Lankan government to take more land.
0: Okay. Um, so, if you want more details of these articles, who wrote that article? Um, um,
1: Chris um, Sleader.
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. So, um, the the current Green Left Weekly has all these articles, and in expanded version, of course. And you can you're welcome to um, buy one. Um, and read more of it. Now, sort of venturing out a little bit internationally, we've got this article uh, about South Africa. Uh, South Africa, South Korea, sorry, which is quite interesting because you rarely hear about such campaigns in the mainstream media. And this one is uh, in a in a place called Seongju. And, and it, it was um, it's a campaign by local farmers against an American um, military base. So it says that um, on September 4, the Siyongju County started a candlelight vigil, and they are actually on the 54th night in in a row. And the message is very clear. Uh, it says no to United States planned deployment of what they call TAD and TAD stands for terminal, high-altitude, area defense. And it uses radar technology and missile interceptors to shoot down ballistic mis- missiles. It, it pro- its proposed deployment in South Korea is considered an important plank of U.S. military strategy. And as we know, with this um, new shift to Asia, the U.S., and, and I guess the main capitalist um, nations, um, have launched into strengthening their presence in the East, and of course has been exacerbated by the dispute of the Straggly uh, Islands between China, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, um, and so and the Philippines and so on. So this is uh, feeding into this shift to Asia by the US. Uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me the mutual defense treaty was signed by the two countries the south korea and the us in 53 after the korean war so the treaty gives the us the right in consultation with south korean government to deploy armed forces on south korean soil and i can i can i suppose we all can guess um, which way the missiles are directed <laughs> probably china north mm. korea you name it and, um, so this, this is, um, quite a important campaign because, because the, the problem is unless the people get together and start protesting against the sort of, um, um, actions and I guess, mm. uh, exacerbation of tensions by this sort of exercise by the U.S. in, mm. in the region, um, the tensions will grow. It just continues, you know, as I do this and you do that and just keep going mm-hmm. and neither part, side really are talking about the people. And I guess the U.S. really should be minding its own business and stay mm-hmm. within its borders. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, They've got their nose in every country in the world, really. Yeah. And uh, the deployment, um, as the, this committee of people are saying, they should be repealed because it threatens peace in East Asia and infringes on the people's rights to a peaceful life. Mm-hmm. So... This it's a long article. I'll just read a few bits here, which is the interesting bits, like the committee against that, um, the, one of the leaders, whose name is um, Lee Jedong, prese- president of the, say, Seongju Pre- uh, Peasants Association and the leader of the struggle, struggle committee, said that the candlelight vigils have been critical to both organizing and educating the people on this particular mm-hmm. treaty. So we hope that through these vigils we can convince people of why they should oppose Thad. Every day we get between 500 to 2,000 people at the vigil and we have organized three larger rallies that have mobilized up to 8,000 people. So they're doing a, a pretty good job in terms of, um, it, I guess, mobilizing people against this particular treaty and hope that the government listens to them. So what they're also saying is that uh, local farmer Ryu Dong In said that this has to do with our livelihood. Even if they move it further away from the town, the name Seongju will become associated with that, just like the names of certain towns are associated with nearby nuclear power plants. This will have a big impact on our local economy, where we produce over 70% of South Korea's melons. So it's, you know, it's a food issue as well. So this, this is a very interesting article. I think Tony Ilstis wrote the article in the current Green Left Weekly. And, um, the, the article concludes by saying that they also have sought to expand the struggle to other cities. More than 50 towns and cities are also starting to do similar candlelight vigils and um, follow suit. More than 100 protests around South Korea have been organized to coincide with the 100th vigil in Seongju on the 20th of October. So they're very, Active and mm. they are trying to mobilize against this invasion of India yeah. by the capitalist nations of the West. <laughs> my favorite topic. <laughs> this, sort of, this is horrible. I mean, I come from a country that was colonized mm. and it, it still sits in my memory and my conscience. I'm thinking, how dare they? Mm. And then after watching that, when we were talking about, talking about before about Hansen, I'm thinking, you go, you invade a country and then you say it's your country. Mm. What about the people who were there before mm. you invaded the country? You have
1: no right to say that yeah. you know it's
0: it's, it's beyond me mm. how they could actually do that. It's like somebody walking into your house taking it over and saying, "You will do what I tell you to do. I set the rules for the house, mm. and suddenly, really, but I bought the house. it's my house. What the hell <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I guess not many people think in those terms. Mm. Um, so that was, that was, um, that's an interesting article. But the other thing that's interesting in this, um, paper is Chelsea Manning. I don't know, uh, you know, it's hit the news. I think mm-hmm. it's on Facebook or something, but there's uh, news about Chelsea Manning's hunger strike. The U.S. Uh, soldier who's serving a 35-year prison term for passing classified files to WikiLeaks, um, ended her, his hunger strike. Oh, no, it's her hunger strike on September 13, September 13, after the army said she will receive treatment for her gender dysphoria, the American Civil Liberties Union said. So the 28-year-old army private announced the hunger strike from her jail cell in Kansas on 9th of September. And uh, Tulsa English reported that um, she said she was suffering severe depression due to the army's refusal to provide her treatment. So... The strike was announced after she um, early attempted suicide Mm. over what her representative said was the government's denial of appropriate treatment of her gender dysphoria, a condition in which a person feels their physical gender is the opposite of one he or she identifies with. And it's it's an an issue that still needs a lot of discussion. People don't accept people with this sort of... um, Mm. I don't know if it's disorder or condition, but it, it must be so hard for them. Uh, so many I mean, Street... Being a,
1: being a trans woman in jail, like, that's... Horrible, that, that's isn't awful. it? awful, and she's so brave to have, you know, say, I'm, I'm going on hunger strike. She's, you know, uh, leaking, leaking files and stuff. What a brave woman, what an inspirational woman um, for doing that.
3: Mm.
0: So... The government is still threatening her with solitary confinement for charges related to her attempt to take her own life. Mm. The army charge has charged Manning with misconduct over her failed suicide bid. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. but I know, uh, but it's, it's absolutely it's ridiculous. It it is. It's ridiculous. The, the whole thing is such a facade. I I I'll never understand the mentality of these people. Mm. You know, I can understand it politically, but how do you do that to another human being? Is something I cannot, I can't grasp it. Mm. You know, you, you, you see a person suffering and, and you mm. continue to exacerbate it. Mm. It's a concept that I, I mean, as a nurse, I'm so used to sort of supporting mm-hmm. healing. All, you know, it's a different. I guess the opposite of what these people are doing to well, yeah. Chelsea. As, well,
1: as a nurse and a socialist, you have a different mindset to what most um. of these. Awful people. I suppose yeah. so. But it's,
0: it's just so awful that, you know, one human being, it doesn't matter what profession, you mm. know, or where you come from, what gender, what, what nationality is watching another person suffer and instead of supporting and helping them, you actually step in to exacerbate the suffering. Mm. That's a mentality I don't think many people can actually understand. Mm. Okay, moving on. Any other news you've got at there?
1: Um, no, I do not.
0: Okay. There's a power st- crisis in South Australia. Um, Renfrey Clark writes about this, and he's very good on this um, issue because he actually wrote a book on it, I think, with uh, another person some time ago. Anyway, so he writes, "Our small-scale nuclear power reactors the key to dealing with the high cost of electricity in South Australia? It's been a crisis, and I think they were trying to... Power with a lot of renewables, and, and there was a shortage, and they were then trying to get Victoria to to support them with it. Um, so this is, uh, I guess, the rising of the head of the nuclear um, issue. So Adelaide's Channel Seven splashed the story across um, the reports. It said that the power, the nuclear power option, was being officially explored. A top-level report clearly indicates small-scale reactors. Having been on the short-term, um, radar, the channel stated. So installing small-scale modulated nuclear generations, um, generators, sorry, was said to be among the 30 business ideas to create competitive, reliable, and secure delivery of electricity in su- to South Australia. I like the word secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After Fukushima, I'm not sure. Anything in nuclear is no, secure. No. So the, the debate's happening there. So because South Australia's energy market is privatized and largely deregulated, it's dominated by a small group of business players who are devoted to corporate robbery, as he puts it. Mm -hmm. So what happens is this competition to produce um, nuclear power is seen as a cheap way of um, supplying power. But the initial cost will be very high to establish a safe Mm -hmm. or relatively safe nuclear facility will be... Cheaper
1: nuclear things that should not go together ever in the same sentence. Doesn't make any sense, (laughs) does it?
0: But that's a discussion. Mm.
1: So the other aspect of
0: this is he talks about, is it the renewables' fault? So it says one here... For the Murdoch-owned Adelaide advertiser, pathological in its hatred for anything faintly green, the cause of the crisis was too much renewable energy. And that's what's been peddled among Mm -hmm. most of the media, actually. So the Liberal Party, of course, echoes it. The massive rush into wind energy and alternative energy in South Australia without ensuring the um, continuation of base load power is the major problem, and this is what I've heard over and over and over again. Mm. I've something, what's going on here? So, by, go- by contrast, um, Weatherill has been relatively straightforward about the reasons for the state's energy wars. September ninth, uh, on the ABC News, he reported say, he was reported saying that current rules allowed private electricity companies to drive prices higher by withholding supply. So it's actually a different problem altogether. A small number of energy sup- suppliers in South Australia have too much power, the Premier argued. It ho- it, in hopes of forcing a degree of competition on the state's energy oligarchs, the government has not drawn upon its energy market transition plan that was announced on the 8th of September. The plan um, centers on a move to put 75% of the government's energy needs up for tender, with firms obliged to bid against one another for supply contracts. So it's all commercially manipulated, to yeah. say the least. So they proposed this, uh, also proposes a $24 million um, incentive for gas exploration aimed especially at um, luring gas corporations burnt by the recent Victorian ban on fracking. So exist. it's a very commercial, commercially artificially created shortage. Mm. So it's got nothing to do with renewable energy.
1: No, nothing at all. And the 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 argument against you know wind, um, wind re- renewable energy by wind is you know ridiculous when they're thinking of bringing in radioactive you know because a wind tunnel isn't going to explode and kill us all, <laughs> you <know>? That's right.
3: <laughs>
0: and we have Jono Lanas on the line. Uh, He is the Healthy Ecosystem Manager from the Australian Conservation Foundation. And we're going to discuss the the Carmichael coal mine, Adanis Carmichael coal mine. Morning, Jonah. Welcome to 3CR. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us this morning. Now, the case against uh, the Adani Carmichael coal mine was lost um, and you are planning to appeal it. I wonder if you could give us a quick, um, perhaps, you know, description of what, how you launched the case and what's the basis of your appeal.
4: Certainly. So Adani's uh, proposed Carmichael coal mine would be the biggest coal mine in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it would dig up uh, coal that, when burnt, would create 4.6 billion tonnes, not million, but billion tonnes of climate pollution, which would have an extraordinary impact uh, on, on, on the atmospheric... Uh, sorry, on, on the amount of carbon in the atmosphere and thereby on the Great Barrier Reef, And in reality, all native flora and fauna in Australia. So the ACF, uh, building on the work done by many local conservation groups on the ground, uh, decided to challenge the lawful uh, approval of this mine in the federal court. Uh, The key ground that we took to the court was that that 4.6 billion tonnes of climate pollution would have such an obvious detrimental impact on the Great Barrier Reef that the Minister could not uh, uh, could not have been living up to his obligations to protect the reef under the World Heritage Convention mm. when he decided to approve the mine. I think it, it's a fairly logical argument that we made. It's
0: common sense uh, almost, isn't it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, unfortunately, what the judge found was that uh, the Environment Minister at the time, Greg Hunt, uh, had gone through a process of logic in which he had convinced himself that whilst, yes, there would be 4.6 billion tonnes of, of climate pollution, and yes, uh, you know, it, that that could have an impact on the reef, mm. there were too many uncertainties about what the rest of the world might be doing about climate change uh, to to argue that it would definitely have an impact on the reef, and therefore the final step in his logic was there would be no impact and he did not need to consider the impact of that pollution and the judge found extraordinarily that under Australian environment law, the minister is perfectly entitled to make such an absurd conclusion. Oh dear. (laughs) So we we cannot stand by and and let uh, such a finding stand. We need to test it uh, in the full by their full bench of the federal court. Mm. And we need to ensure that Australian environment law doesn't allow such absurd, life-threatening decisions to be made. And
3: mm.
1: that's such an, you know, an absolute a statement to make like that. It's such an absurd statement and such a ridiculous statement that it will have no effect on the reef at all? Because anyone, anyone with no knowledge about environmental science or anything like that can look and be like, well it's obviously going to have an effect on the reef because it's in a vast amount of pollution.
4: In, indeed, but th- this is why we need to ensure that either this judgement does not stand and we, mm. will, we will pursue it all the way to the highest court of the land if we need to or if if it still stands then it proves clearly there is something broken at the very heart of Australia's environment protection law. Mm-hmm. If they can't protect the reef from such an obvious threat, they can't protect anything.
0: So what's, what's the fundamental basis because of your appeal? You know, what, you, what, are you, what are your points that you're using to um, appeal the decision?
4: Uh, well, essentially we are disputing the environment, Minister, the environment minister's claim uh, that he made in the court, that this coal will not have an impact on the Great Barrier Reef. We, uh, believe it or not, under, the, under our national environment law, we cannot actually... Uh, ..we cannot appeal the merit of that decision. Mm. We cannot get into the scientific facts of the case and say uh, that the, the impact on the reef would be unacceptable and the minister made the wrong decision.
0: Oh, really? You can't, you can't do that?
4: Would, no, this is one of the great weaknesses of of our environment law. Oh, my uh, goodness. What we can do is say the minister did not properly consider the evidence and did not do so in, in a logical and lawful manner. Ultimately, if the minister still then uh, went through that process and decided, well, there will be a significant impact on the reef, uh, but I'm just going to let the mine go ahead, we we would have very limited grounds to to appeal that. It's an extraordinary mm. thing about national environment law in Australia that many people don't realise.
0: Well, obviously it's a deliberate way of writing the law so that mm. the the environment movement is weakened in any legal and steps the it takes.
1: And corporations win every time. Yeah. Yeah. So how does this thing? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on.
4: Well, I think that that that's exactly right, and this is the the bigger picture story that that we need to tell. In Australia, it's a story that's been stuck on repeat for decades, if not centuries. That mm. If you are a big business that can convince people there are jobs and profits to be mm. had uh, and, and you can donate to the right politicians, it mm. doesn't matter what our environment laws say, doesn't matter what our cultural heritage protection laws say, you will have the right to, to get an approval and the community will not have a right to to stand against it. It's a story we have to change.
0: It's interesting, the financial review um, has also written about this and it says that Adani has assumed control of the existing coal export terminal at Abbott Point and is now looking at a staged ramp up of their mine. This means that they can reduce the initial cost of their project by billions of dollars but be able to, um, to proceed with their massive coal mine which will still be the biggest in Australia and send thousands more coal-laden ships out through the Great Barrier Reef each year, all to generate billions of tons more greenhouse gas emissions. So that is a statement, you know, that's in the media. And I, 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 sorry, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit stumped um, at how there's such a, a, a lack of synchrony in, in the understanding of the legal system, the legal system's understanding of what's happening mm. And as you pointed out rightly, it's the law that is the obstacle. But the other aspect of that that I'm very curious about is that the international heritage protection is supposed to have. How how do they get past that?
4: It, it's a good question, and that was one of that was in fact the, <coughs> the key legal argument we made uh, was that because the reef is uh, listed on the World Heritage Register and Australia has signed the World Heritage Convention and our national environment law uh, puts an obligation on the minister uh, to, to do his or her utmost to protect sites of world heritage, uh, that this was clearly uh, not not in line with that obligation. The federal court found, however, that, that the minister essentially has this extraordinary discretion to decide in a case if there's some uncertainty about the potential of you know, the cause and effect link, that, oh, well, you know, it's possible, I guess, someone else somewhere else might uh, might reduce their emissions and therefore it might not have that link, that the minister's entitled to say, well, I can't tell that much about whether or not there's an impact, so I'm just going to say there isn't one. Oh, that apparently is an extraordinary loophole in our environment law, and we think it needs to be closed, and that's why we're challenging this all the way to the full bench of the federal court.
0: Well, worthwhile venture I'd say and I hope you have lots and lots of support in this at least we are worried about it we're very worried as human beings and we all should be worried you know one of the to, to to put it in a personal angle, I guess, to this whole thing, when I was a kid in Malaysia, we we were all taught about the great wonders of the world and the Great Barrier Reef was one of them. And my dream was to go and see, which I did see in 2010. But I look at it now. oh, my God, they're going to destroy the thing. It just breaks my heart just listening to it. I wonder how Australians feel about it in general. You know, you've got this case running. It's not highly publicized. Um, the community. You know, there doesn't seem to be enough mobilization. We need a lot more mobilization around it. But it's, it's a heartbreaking thing that it's almost like destroying the planet, isn't it? This mm-hmm. is the beginning of it, in a sense. At least that's how I feel at a personal level.
4: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and it's a reason that we do need to get the message out that, that this is... We cannot just simply stand by and allow decisions like this to continue happening. Because if we stand by this decision... Another one and another one and another one will happen. So That's it is right. actually time mm. that we stood together and drew a line and said, we need to stop this story that big polluters are allowed to get away with killing the Great Barrier Reef, sending species extinct and so mm. forth. Mm. It is not a story that we can afford to allow to repeat any longer. No.
0: Mm. It's mm. like the fracking story, we need to stop it. So how do you think people can get involved and support you in this particular, uh, you know, Challenge, I suppose, really, it's a, it's a mammoth one. Well,
4: we've had a great outpouring of, of financial support because, of course, taking this challenge to the mine, uh, to the court, is an expensive and of course. risky exercise. Mm. Uh, but beyond that, we will be rolling out this is not a short term campaign, this is going to take years. We will be asking people, in particular, electorates around the country, but everywhere to get involved in making sure this is on the register of their local MP, because ultimately, whether we win or lose in the court, the decision ends up back in the hands of our elected representatives. We need to change this broken system. We need to say not just no to this mine, but to every mine after it. So we will be rolling out a national campaign, and we'd encourage people to get involved in that. Our website is acf.com dot dot au, and you can click on community and get get involved via that. Uh, it'll be a long term effort, and we really need everyone to join
0: us. Yes, that sounds a very important thing to do because if we can't stop that, that's it. You know, I, I just I don't have words to describe how this whole thing will break the hearts of so many people who, who have enjoyed, you know, the movie version of Great Barrier mm. Reef in the movie Nemo mm. and stuff like that. But if, this is this is the pits of exploitation and and destroying land for money. It's 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 mm. the naked um, exposure of the capitalist mm. desire to make profit. They don't really care, do they? Mm. Anyway, it
4: is. But Australians have stopped these things before. We that's stopped true. Luka, we stopped the guns, pulp mill. We stopped the Franklin Dam many years ago. We can do it again. We can do it again.
0: Absolutely right. And we shall go forward with that positive message in mind, and we shall put the news out and put it on the on the website as well. And thank you so much for giving us more um, information on this. And good luck, and we're all behind you. Um, so, John, thank you so much um, for being available.
4: Thanks a lot. It was okay. a
0: Bye. And we have an interview here.
1: With um, Shea, um, one of the occupiers of SCA, who's an alumni at SCA. Um, What's SCA? SCA, so the SCA occupation, um, Sydney College of the Arts, has been going on for over a month now, which is really exciting, and it's an occupation driven by the campaign to keep um, Sydney College of the Arts at Callum Park and to save the school. Okay, morning, Shay. How are you going?
5: Hi, I'm going well. Thank you.
1: Okay, so Bronte's going to
0: ask you a few questions, and we'll inform listeners about how the how you have been victorious recently. I believe.
5: Yes. Yeah. We, um, uh, under student pressure, the dean uh, Colin Rose uh, stepped down, which was one of our first demands. So it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. That's amazing
1: headway. It's a, it's very great. Um, it's so exciting that one of the first demands have been met. Like you know, with a campaign like this, you think, oh, we're going to have to wait much longer for a demand like that to be met. But for it to be met, you know, so soon into the campaign is such a tremendous achievement. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so uh, the student strike was um, announced yesterday, and that's a very exciting um development in the campaign. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
5: Yeah, um yeah, so it's gonna be a forty eight hour strike and it's gonna involve multiple actions. Um uh um uh, a picket line has been proposed to be outside of the Sydney mm-hmm. College of the Arts and uh we're gonna have um a roving picket of class disruptions down at main campus
3: mm-hmm.
5: and uh various other things. Um a tent empathy in the quad outside of the vice chancellor's office
1: oh, great.
5: Um, with music and food and um, possibly an art installation.
1: Mm.
5: So, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting day. Uh, lots of work ahead of us before that, but, mm. yeah, it's um, very encouraging that it passed um, and passed as, um, as unanimously as oh, it wow. did as we did. Yeah, there was only um, about two votes against it. Uh, oh, at a well, meeting of so over good. 100 people. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, very exciting.
0: Sounds <laughs> good. Now, despite the fact that once Calp is gone, so to speak, I believe the university hasn't made any moves to withdraw their desire to close down the college. Will that be right?
5: Yeah, no, not at all. And they've put in a new person uh, as dean who doesn't really seem to be much of an improvement over roads,
3: mm-hmm.
5: unfortunately.
0: Mm. so, are they actually talking to the students who are occupying it
5: um, not not really um Margaret Harris, who is the new dean she um she hosted a few meetings uh on campus last week mm. um, to talk to students and a few of the occupiers went down and other students involved in the campaign and um tried to gauge where her support for the campaign was and uh, it wasn't very encouraging. Most of the answers were sort of lukewarm, inconclusive. Mm. Um, it's pretty clear that she's yeah, just another um, yeah, part of the machine of the university, unfortunately. Mm. Mm.
0: So, have you ever any idea of what the next next steps going to be, and what sort of strategies do you guys have?
5: Uh, well, we have the strike coming up on October fifth, mm-hmm. um, so that'll be a big thing. Um, I think if if that's if the organization goes really well um, and it's successful, it could be um, a huge part in an ultimate win mm-hmm. for the campaign. Mm.
0: But I, I was very excited to see that the dean resigned. I thought, yes, the young people have achieved something yes. fantastic. Yeah, it, was it was a good Very excited. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it it's so exciting for our first demands we met. And, I mean, you would know a bit about strikes because you've been involved in student strikes before, um, Shay. i Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it it would be quite interesting coming from because you were uh, students were on strike um for a month I believe. Um, yeah. Um. Both in 2012
5: and 2013,
0: 14 in Quebec. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So the um, feeling of victory has to be now followed up with more real victory on the ground in relation to mm. the actual withdrawal of the closure of that wonderful building I keep hearing about. I think i have to go and visit it when I go mm-hmm. to Sydney.
1: <laughs> Come into the occupation, Molly. <laughs> yes
0: I should, shouldn't I? But um okay, so how how's the team, how are the troops um you know bearing up? There are a few of you who stay there most of the day or overnight or how how's it being organized?
5: Um, yeah, um we can uh we make sure we have um a good core of people mm. in here day and night, uh every day last night we had about four folks. It was a good core. Um, yeah, things are going well. The, um, I think the, uh, the strike vote really helped with, um, mm. people feeling like there was outside support for what we're doing. I can get a little bit insular in here, mm. sort of forget the outside world. Um, so that was really good. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think morale's at a good level and people, mm. um, really keen to keep fighting. Mm. And
0: I think the key thing is is victories like these are very rare and especially victories that are uh, gained by young people who actually go out and fight for their rights mm-hmm. because, I, I mean, I'm an older person, so to speak. And <laughs> um, when I think about it, the last time I saw young people actually uh, jump for joy in victory was like the Vietnam War days when students mobilized Mm. enormously and there was lots and lots of mobilization mobilization since then. People have been active, but to get a victory like this, That it inspires people. I think this is, this is a key mm. victory for you guys. And, um, good luck. Uh, it sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got so much community support, trade union support. You've got to keep it going while the bad government is in shambles. They're fighting, mm. fighting the political front so you can run this campaign, um, in the backyard, so to speak. Mm. But it sounds amazing. And um, keep the struggle up, and good luck to 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 all of you. Bronte will be coming up to join you soon, I think.
1: Yes, I'll be back into it, back yes. into It'll occupying so great very you soon. Have you back in, Bronte. Yeah, I'm very excited, very anxious to get back into the campaign. So yeah. it's going to be great to be home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It'll be good fun.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Shay, and
0: keep the good work up, and, yeah. and we shall keep up with you. Have a good day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, um, a quick um, station announcement, and then we shall go on to um, the general announcement.
2: Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing, and this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is a certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing. 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present.
4: At such a time, it's important to have a voice like 3CR. Steady, constant, sane, and committed to a nuclear-free
0: Australia. Welcome back to Green Love Weekly Radio. And we are into the activist calendar section. And we've got, um, what have we got? We've got um, brewery workers, of course, the CAB we've been talking about all morning. Steve Dolly talks about, talked about it so they still need um your support <coughs> excuse me and uh, there are barbecues every thursday and i think the special ones being organised um early next week i think next week the week, week after the week after so i'll give you details at the next um programme so that you know people can turn up there but those who haven't heard this before or forgotten it's at 77 south bank boulevard Uh, South Bank, it's there, all the workers who are on strike are there from 6am to 6pm and do join them or pop in to say hello, you know, have a cup of tea with them or whatever. So they'll be, um, grateful for any support they can get and, um, to keep, keep up the spirit is really important for us to support them. Okay. Theatre. Black Cat. They say a cat has nine lives for and for Ruby, a First Nations woman, navigating the 21st century, nine lives are but one way to explain her idiosyncrasies. So join this um, enigmatic Ruby on Wednesday, 21st. That's today, isn't it? Mm. Yes, today. And uh, it's from today to the 2nd of October, 4 p.m. And again at 6:30 p.m. And again at 8:30 at the La Mama courthouse, 349. Uh, Drummond Street, Cowton. So you have an announcement there, Bronte. Yeah,
1: so 3CR is having an open day um, coming Sunday the 9th of October from 12pm to 4pm. And um, it's open its door to the community inviting you to come and celebrate 40 years of Radical Radio.
0: Yes, and bring some money with you. Mm, We need donations. Yeah,
1: bring some money and donate to 3CR because it's a very awesome community project. That's right. And the band No Fixed Address is going to be playing at the... um, Lamond um Tuesday 29th of September at 9 pm
0: Yeah Lamond I think it's on the corner of Blythe yeah. and Nicholson streets. Mm. It's quite a, a lovely little bar if you if you can get there. So what's the date the 29th isn't it?
1: 29th and you can buy tickets online www.ticket.com tbo.com.au
0: I'm sure you can turn up on the day mm. too. Yeah, but they're, they're an old, either. old Aboriginal band actually mm. and they're fantastic. They got great music. Okay, another, um, the, lots of films um, happening in theatre. There's comedy A Further Other Evening with the First Dog on the Moon. I'm, I'm not sure what that means really but that's the title of it. Um, it, if we all have to die horribly, at least we should have funny pictures to look at. At least that's what it says. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, at least not be completely racked by guilt all the time. Moon shows you how you too can be a national treasure. Save the Earth. Anyway, that's supposed to be comedy. I don't understand any of that <laughs> stuff. But anyway, it's on uh, on Wednesday, September 21st, which is again um, to... September 25th, and at the fringe hub, Lithuanian Club Main Theatre, 44 Errol Street, North Melbourne. Another theatre is hut. Indigenous children have been forcibly removed from their families, so there's a um, play about it. The they're Using Testimonials from Stolen Generations, Noongar Man, Ian Michael interviews, invites you to listen in on the silent stories of this country. September twenty second to second of October at the La Mama courthouse again, and there's a film Snowden that's mm-hmm. um, you know the direct, done by director Oliver Stone, so fas- tackling a fascinating true story. That's on September twenty second, ten thirty p.m. Cinema no- Cinema Noah. I'm, I'm sure you can look it up online, and most people know where that is on Lycan Street in, in in amongst the um, shops there. Okay, um, fundraising, Sea Shepherd, um, Ocean Defense Tour. So they're having a, a defense tour on the 20th, the Saturday, 11 a.m., which is tomorrow, actually. Hmm. Um, Southern Operations Base, Sea Works, 82 Nelson Place, Williamstown. So I guess you just turn up there. If you want to book, you go to Uh There's also a, Interesting forum. I'm sure a lot of people might be interested in this one. Making Melbourne a hands free zone. This has been organized by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, CAF as they call it, on the 27th of September at 6.30 p.m. at Trades Hall. That's on, on the corner of Lygon and Victoria Parade. And there's a musical homage to Pablo Neruda, 29th of September at the Town Hall, Fishley Street, South Melbourne at 8 p.m. So I guess you have to turn up or ring up the town hall in South Melbourne. Um, a film, another film, Tunnel Vision, a documentary that fights to stop the eighteen billion dollar East West Link road. That's right. That's what we talked about this earlier mm. on with uh, Steve Jolly as well. So there's a film made, and uh, of course titled Tunnel Vision. That's on at um, the Acme Theatre at Fed Square, 2nd of October, which is a Sunday. It's at 6 p.m. Mm. And there's a forum on West Papua, a struggle for independence. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's being addressed by um, Robert Stringer, who's a retired United church pastor who spent almost all his life fighting uh, the cause of the West Papuans. And also Jeffrey Ikua, who's a West Papuan who was one of the refugees who arrived in Australia by boat. It's uh, being held at the Social Resistance Office, uh, 407 Swanson Street, on the fifth floor. So that's the end of those <coughs> announcements. So any final bits that we have to look at before we um, close the?
3: Uh,
1: There's um, a Green Left Weekly article this week: um, class action for stolen Aboriginal wages. Um, By Kerry Smith, about 300 Aboriginal people have joined a class action filed in the Federal Court on September 12 to recover wages they say were stolen by the Queensland Government more than half a century ago. The claim is for unpaid wages held in the Government Trust accounts under Queensland's Aboriginal Protection and Preservation Act. Um, in 1939, which allowed the government to control the earnings of Aboriginal people until 1972. Most of the money was lost or stolen. <laughs> yes, in yeah, inverted commas. Um, Councillor Sir John Bottoms, who is representing the um, claimants, said there's an action for a breach of trust. The Queensland government held itself up via its legislation as the protector of Aboriginals, as... Holding the funds in a trust to look after it for them because it was said that they couldn't manage it on their own. You know, it's, you know. How patronising! I know. How patronising! Insulting. <laughs> um, it's salty, it's yeah, disgusting. Yeah, it is, it's it's disgusting. It's sort of um, yeah, it's it's horrible. And there's um one person saying um, um Hans Person, that's his name, became a drover from far north Queensland at the age of 15. Aboriginal station worker at the time were paid two-thirds of a white worker's wage. During the first decade of work, person earned about $14 a week. Six was held by the government and eight was given to him as pocket money. Um, and he believes he has earned up to um, $7,000 during the 1950s and 1960s and was planning on buying a house in North Queensland for his young family. But when he went to collect his money, he received a tiny friction of that amount. So, you know, it's, these claims that has been lost or stolen um, is, you know, it's ridiculous. The government's just put that money back into themselves, really. I, of course. I do believe, yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Now, there are a couple of things I wanted to sort of bring the attention of, of listeners to. One is the 17-year-old teenagers um, in Queensland they used to be put into adult prison, so the, gov- the Queenstown government has announced that from September 7th, they will move all 17-year-olds out of adult prison within 12 months of new laws being passed. Um, there are four 17-year-olds in the state's adult prisons. In itself, I think it's criminal, but that's mm. you know my personal opinion, and... The move means 17-year-olds will no longer be viewed as adults by the court, which mm. is a big relief. Mm. The kids can have a bit of a you know oh, relief from this. Mm. I just after Don Dale, I'm I, I I'm I feel exasperated even to talk about it. Anyway, mm. so pa- Palashank, the premier of Queensland, has announced this, so which is a good thing. So I guess we should take the the good mm. thing, the little good things that we can get. But after I twelve months,
1: a lot of those seventeen-year-olds that are in there will age 18, out. Eighteen, yeah. eighteen, yeah. yeah so. And then
0: they'll be stuck back in the system mm, again. Yeah. Just a it's But I I just want to finish up with this um, a quick rundown of the omnibus thing, which is being you know hailed as wonderful. The Labour's achieved such a you know wonderful gains by um, uh, I think rolling back some mm. of the cuts and. But in real, with the Liberal, Liberal Party, of course, but the real thing is this. The opposition agreed to support 20 out of 24 cuts. Let's just quickly run down the, mm. the bit so people can be a little bit more aware of what actually has happened. So the New START payments and the pension from, the, that's right, the deal is saving the unemployed on the m- measly New START payments in pensioners from a threatened $4.40 40 cents a week cut big deal. The mm-hmm. previous Labour government's modern, modest uh, public dental health program and income support payments to people in the psychiatric confinement were also spared. The deal also reduced a proposal of $1.3 billion funding cut to renewable energy research and development to $500 million, which the opposition claims is a win for budget repair with fairness. When they don't have a bloody planet, there won't be any fairness mm-hmm. around. It oh, drives me insane, mm-hmm. but anyway. So cuts to family payments will result in single-parent families with two teenage children losing up to $60 a week. So the cuts to youth payment will result in an an unemployment young person losing $47 a week. How do they even pay the rent? Exactly. You
1: know, someone who's lived extremely underneath the poverty line before, like... The, the cuts to these fundings are really terrifying to me um, mm. and the, you know, the, of the cuts to the disability funding are quite terrifying to me.
0: Okay. I want to finish up on this. In Australia, where the 10 richest Australian families have the same wealth as the poorest 3.9 million Australians combined, I guess it gives you the picture of mm-hmm. how yeah. pathetic this omnibus deal is and that... Makes me really angry and I've got a lot of energy to go out and fight the world today. Good. Let's end it on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, let's thank Steve Jolly for being available early in the yeah. morning, who is a Yara counselor. And of course, uh, Jono Lanuz from the ACF to talk about the, the coal mine and Shay from the SE occupation mm-hmm. in Sydney. Thank you everybody. And thank you for listening to Green Left Weekly. I hope you enjoyed the program and saying goodbye is Lalita Chalaya and
1: Francie Scott, have okay, a
0: good day. Okay, till next week. Bye.